Welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. On this week's episode, I'm chatting with Matt after a bit of a break. I've been away on holidays. We've had lockdowns in Brisbane and, and on the Gold Coast and now we're back into our routines and catching up on where things are at with Crossbeam. In our last episode, we talked about making the move from beta users to paying customers. And today we're focusing on what it's like now that we're in the growth phase of Crossbeam, adding users, some of the strategies where we're thinking about and implementing there and what Matt's focusing on. We also have a bit of a chat about what it's like as a founder to actually take holidays and, and what you can do to disconnect from work while you're away. Enjoy. Hey, Matt, it's great to be back on the mics with you again. It's been a little while. How are things with you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Meryl. Yeah, it's good to be back and, and catch up. It's been uh, been a little while since uh, we last recorded and I had a chance to sort of come on and chat to you about what I've been working on. But uh, we're sort of now post uh, cross-beam launch. So I've got a couple of thoughts about what sort of worked well there and what hasn't. And um, we're now, you know, we're, we're live, we've got customers, maybe not as many as I'd like. Um, so that's all positive stuff, I think. It is. In the last episode, we were talking about, well, how do we switch from having beta users, so people that aren't paying for the product, how do we actually switch over to having paying customers and what do we need in place to do that? And, I mean, it feels great. For I know you've run a much bigger SaaS app before, but for me, having Having one paying customer felt like an achievement because it meant that, well, we've built something that people are willing to pay for. So I was pretty excited about our $49 a month of recurring revenue that came in from that 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 first customer. It, it's it's I don't know, there's still that buzz you get. Because you know, we've got a uh, we've got a little notification set up. So in Slack, we get a, a message when a customer installs and that you know, that never gets old, seeing that little notification pop up and tell you that someone else is, you know, not only wants to use the software, but they're going to pay for it as well. I think that's, yeah, you get a, I still get a real buzz out of every single one of those that, that comes through. And as you said, we're not growing as quickly as we had hoped, but we're, and I know we're not necessarily sharing exact numbers on here, but we're getting closer to that milestone of $1,000 a month of monthly recurring revenue. And it's, it's funny when I say that because the numbers are so different to running a productized service or a yeah. service business where you might have one client that pays you $2,000 a month or, or more. Um, but, it, but it's quite a different business model. So I'll, I'll throw it back over to you. I know that you've been reflecting on things like the launch and, and this phase that we're in now, which is about growing our customer base. So do you have any insights or, or what are some of the things you've been thinking about? So, you know, I've been thinking about how do we, I mean, basically, how how do we get a faster rate of installs? And, you know, our, our model with Crossbeam has been that we're sort of doing what I'd call, you know, integration or partnership marketing. So that's our acquisition channels that we work with these platforms, um, uh, Nido, Maripost, um, as they're now called. So Maripost is the e-commerce platform that we're built on. All our customers use Maripost for their, their e-commerce business. And then we integrate with Zero to push across their, their sales um, data so that they can reconcile it as part of their bookkeeping. So we've got two sort of very big partners there that we could leverage. Zero less so because um, they're a much broader market, 
But with Maripost, we've we've worked close, closely with them to build something that can replace one SaaS, which is you know leaving the zero market. So initially, we thought this was the perfect uh, sort of window into this market. You know, there, there's a, an established player that's leaving, and there's going to be customers that are already using the software, and they're going to be forced to go back to market and look for an alternative. And this was this was our opening. This is our thesis that we could build something to come in, because otherwise, how do you how do you get these people to switch? Uh, if they've got a product that's already working for them, it's really difficult. And my thing is, if you want someone to switch products, you need to build something that's significantly better. And it can be, you know, in some markets, it can be significantly cheaper if it does the same thing. That might be a good solution. Um, in this market, that wouldn't wouldn't work because, you know, you, you're talking um, double-digit monthly subscriptions. So, you know, we might be able to come in and build something for 20 bucks a month, but we're not going to be able to build a very good business on it or build a very good product either. So it's not going to serve us or all the customers very well. So we need to, to build a product that's actually better, delivers a better experience uh, and delivers a, a better solution for these customers' need. And so that looked sensible. You know, we, we had to build something better than that what they already had, which would get them to move across. And they were going to be basically forced to consider our solution because their, their current one was leaving. And we've had a few few people come across, but not as many as we thought. And I've been thinking about why that is. And one of the sort of uh, insights that I can now see and didn't have before is that we've built a better workflow for the problem that they're solving, which is getting sales data from Maripost um, e-commerce into zero. But we're doing a different workflow. So we're batching up daily payment data and sending it across, which is a lot more efficient once you're in zero. But that's not the workflow that these customers have been doing with their current system. So they don't, so from our perspective, we can see that what we've built is a better you know, workflow from, you know, if we talk about from first principles, uh, this is a better way of solving that problem. But the problem they see is they want something that replaces their current workflow. And we haven't built exactly that. And so there's a, I think there is a disconnect there from, you know, different perspectives. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And we're handling some of the accounting technical support on the Ninja side. And so we're getting some of those questions coming to us of, well, we want the product to do what one SaaS used to do and it's not. And so how can we solve things with our existing workflow? And it, as we're discovering, it's quite hard to, tra- to, to convince someone to change their existing workflow, even if we think there's a better way to do it. Um, at, at, so it, it's been interesting experiencing that from the customer support side of, of the product. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing to, to convince people too because it's not a, you know, if if they switch to our workflow, they're not necessarily going to increase sales or, you know, reduce their cost of marketing or anything like that. It's going to just, it'll give them a better result, I think, at the end of the financial year when they're doing their books, everything's neat and tidy. Uh, and I think it reduces the workload during the year. But it, I think it can be hard for them to see and they just see it as something new they have to understand and have to learn. Exactly. I think it's harder to measure because the benefits and the reason we do this workflow when we're working with clients and handling this workflow for them is that it reduces errors because there's less transaction volume, so less risk of error. And then it just takes way less time. But unless you're seeing a quantifiable dollar drop in, or, or unless they're seeing that with their bookkeeping fees or they're paying the admin person or the account, their internal accountant less, then it's probably hard to actually see a benefit to the bottom line 
with the workflow we're suggesting. So that's something I'm thinking about is how, how can we explain that better? How do you do you see this sort of same, similar problem when you onboard new clients at Bean Ninjas? Like, do you are you often have to change the way they're doing their uh, bookkeeping workflow? It, it depends how much of the process that we're handling, and so ideally we take over a whole workflow. For example, if we were to run bill payments for someone, then ideally we are involved in the the end-to-end workflow from the point that they get sent a bill from their customer. We want to have access to that bill payment email address or we want to have a central um, location where where everything's saved and then we want to run the end-to-end process to the point that we organise everything in zero, load it up, ready for approval. But to be involved in bits of it, then that involves a lot of negotiation around how the workflow works. And so I learned that, learned some hard lessons in the early days of Big Ninjas where we were responsible for bits of the process, yeah. but, but but were somehow responsible for the accuracy of the entire process. So we basically <laughs> were responsible for things that we couldn't control. And when I had a few bad experiences where things went wrong and it didn't feel like it was that we could have controlled it, but we hadn't set the right expectations. Yes, yeah. So you, you, you sort of had unlimited downside there, didn't you? Like you, there's, there's so much <laughs> yeah. that could go wrong that you would then be on the hook for. Exactly. And so now when when we work with a new client, we're really clear about what, what are the workflows and, and there's, commerce, there's common e-commerce and accounting workflows like paying bills or chasing debtors and we're really clear about which bits we're responsible for and which bits the client is responsible for. And I, I guess it's a different sales process as well. Like if, if a client comes to to being ninjas, there's going to be a conversation. The you know it's a much more bigger commitment for that client to switch to being ninjas than to install a SaaS app to you know automate their bookkeeping. So there's I guess, I guess there's well there's more friction once they get past that friction. They're committed and invested and and ready to sort of get on that train. That's right, and I think that can be the downside of services is because if someone's paying that kind of money and they're, and they're often you're not going to switch bookkeepers or accountants too often so they're probably going to be around for a few years it's very easy to get sucked into saying oh yeah well we'll just adapt our process in this we'll do this one-off change right. we'll do this one-off update and then all of a sudden you've got 15 different clients with 15 different ways of doing things and it's hard to scale your business and I've noticed that with building an app we just have to say no. It's not possible. We can't just tweak it a little bit because that could involve hours of development time. And so that's been actually something that I've learned from building and well, for me more on the selling side of, of software is trying to take that back to a services business and be more disciplined around yeah. what we are saying yes to and what we're saying no to. It's actually, I think, yeah, absolutely. That's That's been a hard, uh, hard one lesson that I sort of have taken on board that, you, you know, I want to say yes. You know, a customer says, if only it did this, then, you know, we could use it for our business or you just need to change the way this bit of works. And it's it's almost easier just to say yes and go away and build that feature, particularly if, you know, I'm a software guy, I like building software. It's an excuse to go build more software, but you then got to support it and, you know, it can limit what other features you can introduce later. It's, you know, there's more the risk of more bugs. It's just, it's the it's the cost of ownership of adding those features that can can really get you into trouble. And I might expand on what you're what you've been talking about with now we're thinking about well, how can we increase the growth rate? How can we get more people 
installing the app and using it and sticking around. Yeah. And something that I've been thinking about and working on is, right, we, we, we had to go at converting some of the, the one SaaS customers, their products no longer available, so they've had to find another option. That That's kind of wrapping up now. And so now moving my attention to when someone moves to, to Nito, which is now Maripost, if they are onboarded, then that's the right time for them also to be thinking about how they're going to integrate that with Zero, and that's the right time for them to install our app. So how do I make sure that in that onboarding process, they're aware of what Crossbeam does and that they know where it fits in? And one of the things we're doing there is a workshop for the customer success and onboarding team at Maripost next week to give them a demo of the app and better understand their workflow of, of how are they actually working with their customers and onboarding them to make sure that we're explaining and giving them the right resources to put Crossbeam front and centre. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, such a, a um, like a golden opportunity there because these they're coming on without necessarily a, a workflow in place. So we're just going to you know clear all that sort of objections and um, momentum they've or inertia, I guess, that they've already got with their current workflow. And if they're just setting up from scratch, even if they've got an existing business and they're just replatforming to Maripost, um, it's you know they're, they're already out there making these decisions. So I think we've got a much better chance of of being involved. And it feels quite different, this, this approach, our, as you said, our marketing is, is based on our partners. So our strategy is to work, to collaborate with partners like Maripost and Zero, and then it's, it's quite different to Beanages, which in the early days it was about content marketing and being active in communities and speaking on podcasts. So it's, it's interesting to feel this is quite a different type of marketing and interesting to, yeah, to learn about it. Yeah. I mean, the, I have to say the one thing I'm really encouraged about is that there's a lot of the, even the customers that have installed or I've had a call with and have said, no, it's not going to work for us. They were really keen to find something that did work. So there's definitely demand, even if we're not the right fit for a lot of these businesses. So I think we're not, even if we're not, you know, right on track here, I think we're definitely sort of heading in the right direction. Yeah. And so What's your focus going to be over the, the, the next little while? There, there are features that we could build, but we don't know whether it's worth investing in those features. There's a little bit of customer support. There's, there's, I mean, there's always things that we could be doing. So how are you thinking about where to spend your time? So I'm trying to be really um, disciplined and not you know, start adding, you know, not, not trying to like build features to, to, to sort of find our way to growth or anything like that and just be really disciplined by what we add. So there's some things that we need to do and, the big one on my plate at the moment is uh, zero certification. So at the moment where you're connected to zero and you can install Crossbeam and connect it to your zero account, but we're going through the process with zero of being certified. And that doesn't really mean change much to the product, but there's a bunch of requirements where they have to, you know, we have to support certain functionalities in zero that we don't necessarily see them as important for our customers, but they're a requirement from zero. So I've got to go through and do those. And the big benefit will then be that we uh, they increase the limit of number of uh, zero accounts we can connect to. So if we didn't do this at some point, we'd actually not be able to onboard any more customers. So that's, that's my most urgent um, sort of task at the moment. And then beyond that, it's going to be looking at, um, I think, figuring out if there is a couple of like, key features that we could add uh, one thing that's come up in the past is uh, a debtor's ledger. So we may need to look at adding that, but then sort of figuring out how much how much of an investment is this and uh, mm-hmm. seeing if it's going to 
pay off for the number of customers that, that would actually use it. That's sort of everything from me. Can we talk more about what you've been up to, Meryl? Because I know you've been you've yeah. had a break recently. You've been uh, away with the family, taking some time off. Yeah, so I took a holiday. We did a road trip up to Ellie Beach in Queensland. And I'm from Victoria, so I've seen lots of country Victoria, but I haven't actually seen a lot of the, the little towns in Queensland. So we had a great time driving up, exploring towns, beachside towns along the way, and then Ellie Beach is uh, an access point to the Whitsunday Islands and Great Barrier Reef. So we, we had a, a really fun time. In hindsight, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a big road trip with a two-year-old. So we're going to be more mindful of of how we plan out those trips in the future. But it was great to to get away, to get into the sunshine and and be by the beach. And were you able to sort of disconnect or did you have to check in with work every day or, you know, how does that work for you? Are you you removed enough now that you can actually have time off? So usually I can. Usually if there's a holiday, then I can plan that. And there's nothing urgent during the week. I won't have to check email, won't have to check Slack. And I'll, I might do some writing or I might even, I still find myself thinking about work, but I love thinking about business. So it's kind of like, I, I, I'm always thinking about business stuff because I find it fun. But I was um, working on, on a deal, which I can talk about in another podcast episode. And so th- that's time sensitive those kind of things. And so I needed to be replying to emails, going backwards and forwards with our lawyer. Um, So I did have to check in, but outside of working on that deal, I was trying not to work. But But it is really hard because when you go into your email to reply to one, then you see all of the other ones. Yes. And and you could just spend five minutes replying to a, to a bunch of them so that you're not holding up other people and then they can continue. Yeah. So I, I did actually do that. Even though I tried only to to work on the deal, I did find myself once I was once I opened my email, replying to other people and, and getting a little bit into it. But and do you have a sort of an escalation um, process or something? So if, I, I don't know what what could happen, but is there something there? It's like okay, this is critical enough that we need to escalate it to Merrill and call a phone or something like that, or is it just a matter of you keeping an eye on everyone now and then? So team members have my phone number, so they know that if I'm not checking email, that they can send me an SMS, and then I'll I'll be available that way. But because we've got the country leaders in place, so we have Tracy that runs Bin Ninjas Australia, we've got Wayne that runs Bin Ninjas US and, and Tom that runs the UK, so they can handle any client issue. They, they are able to make, they've got full autonomy to make decisions, refunds, um, anything like that. They, they can handle all of that. And so there's nothing normally that urgent outside of client things that would need to be escalated to me, but, but there is that option. Um, it, it hasn't happened that, that I've had to be contacted urgently on holidays, but it's good to have that in place for, for people to know, oh, well, this is what, what they would do if something did arise or if there was a legal dispute or something, you know, catastrophic for the business. Papers are being served at the office or something, and sitting <laughs> yes. there with a Mai Tai <laughs> oblivion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how have you handled that in the past? Previously, when, when you were running back in stock, were you able to take holidays? It was difficult sometimes because, uh, you know, it was a, for a long time it was just me and I was doing customer support email and that typically I had to check in every day. So um, I, I remember, you know, I was 
a few years ago, I got married and uh, we were on a honeymoon. And every morning after breakfast, I would take my laptop to the hotel sort of lobby where there was Wi-Fi and I would just sit down for half an hour and go through my customer support email. And But then I'd, I'd turn it off and put it away. So I could sort of just time box it and go, okay, well, I've got to do a half an hour every morning, but then it's done. Um, and that that was actually, I got had to get to that point. So you know, early on, I had things like my phone would send me a notification every time I got a customer support email. And that is a recipe for, you know, really <laughs> stress and high blood pressure. So I learned to turn that off because most things don't need to be attended to immediately. You know, as mm-hmm. long as you set expectations. Uh, so, I'd, you know, we, I was quite clear that I'll respond to support emails by next business day. Um, and, yeah. you know, often as long as you're exceeding that, no one's really going to complain. Every now and then someone does, but uh, I, I think often there's going to be a few people that are unhappy no matter what you do. So you sort of just need to set expectations and manage that. Um, the, the other big thing that was sort of with uh, SaaS products, like a, a web app, is um, maintaining servers and things like that. So you have, uh, if there's an issue with a server going down in the middle of the night, someone needs to fix it. And so I, you know, th- in the last few years, there have been times where my phone would ring in the middle of the night and there's an automated message telling me that some server's failed or some other error condition has got to a point. And it, it's a similar thing. It's like there's an escalation strategy. If mm-hmm. there's an error for five minutes and it goes away, you're fine. But you know, at a certain point, it crosses a threshold and it triggers a phone call and it wakes me up in the middle of the night. Um, and I, that, was, that was something that uh, I didn't find stressful a lot of the time. But after mm-hmm. I sold the business, I really enjoyed not having that. So I think maybe it sort of, it was a bit stressful, but I'd built up uh, a tolerance to it and didn't really notice that level, that bit of stress that was uh, that was on me. I had always wondered about that from the software side, about the something that the site going down, customers can't use the software to do what they need to do, and and having to fix that, and picturing it happening, you know, right where you're on holidays or you're somewhere, somewhere in Bali and there's no Wi-Fi or phone reception. The, the, the Actually, I think the worst time for it to happen is before you get on a, like an in, international flight or something because, I mean, back then there wasn't any <laughs> yeah. Wi-Fi on international flights. And so in, in one sense it was really peaceful. <laughs> there was, even if there was problems, there was nothing you could do about it. So you just sit back. But uh, and I think it's, it's definitely something that it got – a lot better. So, you know, in the, it's probably in the last year I had the business, by then I had two developers working for me and um, they were able to actually not only deal with some of these things that came up, but fix the root cause problems. And uh, once they go away, then, you know, you start to have a lot more um, sort of space to sort of fix smaller issues and then things become a lot calmer. Well, speaking of space, something that I've been experimenting with this quarter has been working a four-day week. So I had already cut back my hours because I finish, I try and finish by three every afternoon so I can go and spend the afternoon with my daughter. But this this time around, I thought, I actually want to try having a whole day off. And I didn't want to pick a Monday or a Friday because Mondays is my no meeting day and I love, I come in so motivated, full of ideas, and, and really that's one of, probably my most productive day in the week. And then Friday I'm starting to get tired anyway and often finish closer to lunchtime. And so that kind of seemed like a bit of a waste of a day off. So I've been experimenting with Tuesdays. And it actually felt kind of weird the first few weeks. I actually 
turned up at work on one of those first Tuesdays because it just I wasn't in the habit of not working. Well, I think you, you also um, you scheduled a, a Zoom meeting with me and then had to, like, you had to message you go, oh, sorry, that's, I'm meant to be taking that day off. We rescheduled it, which I thought was really funny that, you know, most people, the idea of having a day off, they'd be like cancelling things all over the place, but you're actually just still booking meetings. <laughs> well, because it's not in my, my head. And then because I had that holiday, I came back and then I've been out of the habit. But you're right, I did. <laughs> I did it because I was scheduling things and then I was, oh, hang on, I've got tomorrow off. I've got to cancel everything. Uh, and I actually like working. So it's been, it's been a good experiment for me in trying to switch off and, and trying to carve out some time that because having a young family, often it feels like it's work and it's family. They're my two priorities and and my health which I try and fit in exercise but there wasn't a lot of room for anything else for me and so it's been fun having Tuesdays where I've had a bit of time to think oh I could actually go for a longer mountain bike ride or I could just go and have a coffee at a cafe by myself and think for a few hours without anyone needing anything from me so I'm enjoying it now but I'm more than six weeks in and and definitely I felt kind of strange and a bit guilty actually the first couple of Tuesdays where I was, I was trying to get into the groove. Yeah, I mean the guilt thing is interesting, isn't it? Because there's a sort of this assumption I think just I guess it's just in the, the society that we live in that, you know, work should be five days a week if if you can and um, then you can have two days a weekend. But there's if you, if you don't have to, why, why should you, right? Exactly. And I think I felt a bit guilty too because I could have been doing, I could have been spending time, more time with my daughter. I could have been doing more housework. But that's not really how I've, that, that wasn't my goal in setting up my business was to have more time to do house chores. Right. It, it was to have more freedom to have adventures and, and, and do fun things or challenge myself. And, and it was funny. I didn't really have much headspace the, the first couple of weeks to, to fill that time with anything. But now I've had a bit more time. I've uh, joined an indoor soccer team. So that's, it's not on Tuesdays, but I've actually had a bit of headspace to think about, oh, what would I like to do? And I love playing sport and and doing adventure sports. So I signed up for indoor soccer and also doing a team event with the Coolangatta Gold, which is a surf lifesaving race. So I think just I had to give myself a bit more space first yeah. to to then fill it with, with with fun things but we do have a baby a second baby on the way my, my partner's pregnant due in January so I know that I've got this little window and then we'll be back into the waking up every few hours for feeding and uh, broken sleep so I might have to put some of these things on hold again it's a, yeah it's the calm before the storm at the moment <laughs> yes and so are you, um, are, are you going to, uh, well, I guess the, the other thing is how's the rest of the week going at work then? You know, if you've taken Tuesday out, are you feeling more pressure or are you working really long hours the rest of the week? I'm still working on that because I think I'm still trying to fit a five-day work week into four days. Right. And so it's, I felt quite busy actually the, the last little while. But the reason I'm, another reason to do it is it's forcing me to make some more decisions right, I'm doing a four-day work week now, so some of these things have to be cut or they need to be pushed into next quarter. And and I'm still adjusting to that. I'm still trying to do a five-day work week in four at the moment. Um, But it's taken me some time, but I I have already pushed some things into next quarter now and and got a bit clearer about do I need to say no to more. But it's hard to sort of then actually take that day off and not try and still make up for it the rest of the week. Yeah, definitely. And how do you juggle your schedule around family and and health 
and also the pressures of a startup? Yeah, so I think um, it goes up and down. So I have a, you know, Monday to Wednesday, I sort of similar thing. I finish it um, by 2.30 so I can go to the school pickup and pick my son up and we, we hang out um, in the afternoon. And I just, that, that's just a, just, like, I've just wanted to do that. I just want that time because he's still young. I figure enjoy it now. When he gets older, he won't want to hang out with me. So make the <laughs> most of it while I can. Um, and then I have Thursday and Friday. So sort of Thursday is often my day where I, I really can dive deep into something and get a lot of stuff done. And so I then try to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because they're shorter days, I tend to just leave that for sort of shorter um, broken up tasks. And that's just how I sort of keep my flow going. And then I also find that there'll be, you know, when we were leading up through June, we had this sort of end of June launch date for Crossbeam and I found that I was working a lot. So I was often um, after dinner and, you know, the the kids in bed, I was getting back to the office and working um, a few hours every night, which I don't particularly like to do. Like I quite like thinking and doing things at night, but I think just trying to cram more hours in the week, uh, you, you know, it's diminishing returns. Often things that take you three or four hours when you're tired, if you do it fresh in the morning, you can get it done really quickly. So it's not necessarily a very effective way to work, but we were sort of experiencing a bit of crunch trying to meet that deadline. And so now things have settled yeah. down. I'm, I'm trying to step back and be really thoughtful about what I'm working on. Mm. So, you know, not rushing to add features and trying to just um, probably just sort of ride the wave of, of how busy things are at the moment. And I imagine Thursdays, if someone suggests a meeting right in the middle of Thursday, you must just hate that because that's that's your time. That's the maker. Do you know, have you heard of the maker and manager schedule? Yes. Yeah. Where, yeah so makers want to have blocks, big blocks of uninterrupted time without meetings Whereas managers, uh, they might be managing seven people and so their job's to keep everyone ready and that so their day is more in half an hour blocks. And so when you have the the managers and the, the makers kind of trying to schedule around each other, sometimes the managers can uh, not appreciate that, that you need a big block of uninterrupted time or even the thought of having a meeting in the afternoon can derail the day because you think, well, I don't have time to finish that task. I'm not even going to start it. I mean, what, what's that like for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, if I feel like I don't have much time left, it's really hard to get into something um, that's quite deep. And there's, sort of, there's a couple of strategies I try to, you know, work with there. And often I'll, um, I may have turned it off at the moment, but my my um, Calendly link where I let, you know, cust- customers have a link where they can book a Zoom call with me, I'll actually just block out Thursday so that they yeah. can't book a meeting on Thursday because that's when I'm actually trying to get stuff done. Um, and I can turn that off, you know, when we're launching and maybe I want to talk to customers more rather than diving into deep work. I'll, you know, I'll open that up. But other times when I really want to mm-hmm. focus, I'll just, you know, block out time and say, no, no, no meetings on Thursday. Um, and the other thing I always try to, you know, when I am working on something, leave it at a, at a stop at a, a position where it's easy to dive back in. And sometimes that can mean finishing a bit sooner or not moving on to the next step because I, I want a clean break so that I know when I sit down, I know exactly what to start with rather than having to try and figure out what I was, uh, you know, in the middle of or halfway through when I when I left off. That reminds me of something that I learned in the Building a Second Brain course, which we will talk about on a future yeah, episode. I want to hear more about but that. <laughs> so there's the starting off and so he talks about mise en place which is like a chef term for preparing everything in an organized way so that you're you're ready to start work and so that might be in the, in the chef example it might be uh, having everything in, 
like your knives, the, the board, the ingredients, all prepped, ready to go. So if you've got uh, five dishes to get out in the next short amount of time, you can do it really efficiently. But then also the opposite of that is that closed down routine of finishing in a nice place, making whatever notes you need, saving it in the relevant place. So when you sit down to work, you don't have to think, oh, where was I up to with that? And then spend 20 minutes trying to figure out where you're up to. So it sounds like you've got a nice routine there around that closing a task down, ready to to pick it up effectively next time. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, that that sort of describes it uh, really well is, yeah, being able to sit down and just know know where everything is and and know, yeah, where, where, where to pick up from. Well, I think we, we've covered a pretty broad range of topics. We we talked about Crossbeam and then we've gone into some of the more personal work-life balance productivity topics, which are some of my favourites too. So thanks so much for, for coming back on the Be News podcast again, Matt, and looking forward to our next episode. Yep, likewise. Thanks, Meryl. Looking forward to it. Take care.